0: Right, and we are rolling once again. I am Lee Grant. This is Kevin Pendergrass and as always, our M O our pursuit in life is to grow in our knowledge of God's grace and under an understanding of his grace as we explore our faith. We are exploring faith and pursuing grace. In the last couple of episodes, brother Kevin and I went through and I guess for lack of a better term, we deconstructed some of the argumentation that we used to use Regarding the use of musical instruments in worship, and that is a hallmark doctrine that is promoted by the churches of Christ is that using instrumental music in worship to God is a prohibited action. It's not something that can be that is authorized. It's not something that can be done in the life of a Christian. It's not something that the New Testament authorizes. And to really drive that point home, we took audio from a debate, a formal debate that you held with a fellow about instrumental music. And we went through and dissected your argumentation from 2012 and explained why you no longer believe what you believe anymore. And in this episode, we're going to pick up where we left off there and address some of the arguments that are commonly used that we didn't get to in those previous episodes. And I think it's going to be a really good discussion tonight to kind of wrap up this, what became a three-part series on musical instruments.
1: Yep, absolutely, man. It, I hope it's been beneficial to everybody. I've certainly enjoyed doing it. And it's uh, it's brought up a lot of a lot of good points that I'd kind of forgotten about in my notes because it's it's been a while since I've really hit this subject hard. And so I'm I'm hoping that that people will be able to benefit from it.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be a really good discussion. And as we dive right into it, we still may not cover every point that exists on this topic. I don't think it's possible to do so. But if there's something that we get to that, or if there's something I should say in this discussion that we don't get to, and there's a point that we don't make or that we don't address that you find very compelling in this discussion please reach out to us drop us an email and let us know and we'll definitely work it into a future Q&A episode so let's just go ahead and jump right into the deep end of the pool so the first argument that we're going to discuss is an argument that is made from Ephesians 5:19 which as you said in the uh, the previous episode this is Basically, the favorite verse that many people would point to within the churches of Christ. I know it's a favorite one that I would point to and that you would point to that illustrates that we are authorized to sing, but we are not authorized to play on an instrument. And it comes from Ephesians 5 19. In Ephesians 5 19, the Bible says that we are to sing and make melody in our hearts. We are to sing and make melody in our hearts not on an instrument. I found this argument to be really compelling. This is one of the arguments that convinced me years ago, back in the day, that I had the wrong conclusion or I held the wrong conclusion on instrumental music and their utilization within the church. And this was really the argument that changed my mind, that we are to make melody in our hearts. We sing and make melody in our hearts, not on an instrument. So how would you begin to break that down Kevin?
1: Yeah, so this is an argument that I think a lot in the a lot of members in the churches of Christ have made and it's 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 actually not an argument that I ever thought was very convincing. <laughs> so I Well, never, I thought it was. <laughs> I never used it. I didn't actually use this in any of the debate in uh 2012 which of course we just listened to my first a 20 minute affirmative speech, when in reality, the it was a two night debate that lasted, uh, I think, three hours each night. So if we would have actually broken down that whole debate, we'd have probably taken about 26 six, six episodes, minutes, man. Yeah, I was gonna say to do it. But, um, but no, in, in that debate, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring Ephesians 519 and making Melody in our hearts into this conversation, because I, I never used that as an argument in my debate. And I actually had people after the debate say, why did you not use that argument? And so, to, as Lee was saying, the the common argument is that it, it's it's actually slated a couple different ways. Uh, N.B. Hardiman, I don't know if you've ever read his debate on this because when this this was you know I think back in the 1800s, but um, he maybe in early 1900s, I forgot exactly when it took place. Hey, I think it's 1900s, but he used this argument that the word solo, which we spent so much time talking about in the last episode in the Old Testament, had uh, the meaning of to pluck, to pluck something. And as as the word continued to morph, it carried the idea to pluck the strings of a mechanical instrument. And in the New Testament, what we see is that Paul, in Ephesians 5.19, is saying that now we are to pluck our heartstrings, And what's interesting about this argument is it it actually is reinforcing that the word solo means to play or to pluck in Ephesians 5.19. And as we talked about in the the last episode, I don't believe that's the case. I think when you come to the New Testament, this, this word solo did not predominantly mean to play an instrument or to pluck on anything, but I believe it was just a generic or general word for vocal praise. Um, It it didn't mean you had to play or it didn't even mean you had to pluck. It was just a a generic word for singing and praising God vocally. Um, And and that's why we spend so much time on that, because people say, well, if that's the case, does that not make the argument even stronger? Because it's vocal music. And as we discussed it, it wasn't vocal music to the exclusion of instrumental music. It was simply just vocal music, period. It didn't exclude it, but it also didn't necessitate instrumental music. So
0: well, well that right there that I, I just want to be rude and cut you off for just a no, second that well that right there is exactly why I found this argument so compelling is to if we expound on that idea of plucking the heartstrings you know in, in almost as if the the to pluck is a metaphorical sense what I found so compelling about this is that um some folks that I read after said that this word solo to pluck, it's a verb and that the object that that verb is affecting needs to be supplied. Mm-hmm. So example, if you were plucking a chicken, you're not going to say, you know, in, you're sitting out here under the shade tree and you're plucking a chicken and someone walks up to you and says, well, what are you doing? Oh, I'm plucking. You know, you're not going to say that I'm plucking feathers. Or if you're, you know, target practicing with your bow, it could mean to pluck a bowstring. Well, what are yeah. you doing? Oh, I'm plucking. No, I'm plucking a bow string, and the same thing applies as it relates to uh, instruments. The,
1: the object had to be applied, yeah. And since, yes, since, yeah, The no had Instrumental to be music, uh, the the heart was supplied, and so we're to yeah pluck the strings of our heart.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and so, I found that incredibly compelling back in the day. Enough so that it, it that is ultimately the line of reasoning that led me to convert. Yeah.
1: So okay, so he, here is here here's kind of the fundamental problem before we even get into to why that doesn't work. It's it's an inconsistent argument. At least even in 2012, this is why I felt like this was an inconsistent argument because most members of the Church of Christ go out of their way to say that the word "solo" means "sing," and it's translated that way in every single version of the Bible. There's no scholars in the New Testament, whoever translates solo is play, not a single time or pluck. It's never there. So what, what the inconsistency is, most people want to go to every single time the word solo is used in the New Testament and say that it means sing. But then in Ephesians 5.19, they want to say it means pluck. <laughs> and so there's already this disconnect of, well, does the word solo mean sing or does it mean pluck?
0: <laughs> Which isn't, yeah, yeah,
1: and so that's why I didn't use the argument because I don't even think it's a good argument because I don't believe that the word solo means play or pluck in the first century uh, predominantly. I think it actually means sing. So, so the, then,
0: so then, well, what do you do with the in your heart? Yeah, okay, what do you do with so, the heartstrings?
1: But but let, let's go with that. Let's just assume that what you said because that is a, a a pretty pop somewhat popular argument. So let's just go with that and assume, even if that was the case, even if in Ephesians 5.19 it meant pluck and the rest it meant sing, let's say, okay, well, what are we to do with that then? So if that's the case, the reason why this doesn't work is first, the phrase itself in your heart is an adverbial uh, prepositional phrase that it just, that's describing the manner of the action, not the method. And even Thayer here, he says that this is things done from the heart, cordially or sincerely, not things actually done uh, in the heart. So this isn't giving some sort of location where this is saying that any kind of plucking needs to be done. It's simply saying that whatever we do needs to come from the heart. So Paul's teaching Christians that they need to worship and praise God sincerely. And, And we see this all throughout. Scripture, both Old and New Testament, that what makes any kind of action or act of worship dead or in vain, whether it's an instrument or even vocal praise, of course, is the heart from which it proceeds. And we see A.T. Robertson, he actually says this whether with a mechanical instrument or with a voice or with both together, it is all for naught if the adoration is not in the heart. But second of all, the idea that somehow saying that the soloing is to be done in the heart would exclude an instrument, that that argues too much because what we see in the Old Testament is that the heart was an essential component with singing under the Old Testament. We see this in Psalm 9 Psalm 57-7. I mean, there, there's a plurality of passages we could point to to show that under the Old Testament, they were to worship God and solo and sing in their heart which obviously didn't prohibit mechanical instruments. And so if they could use an instrument of music while soloing in their heart, then that means that singing in your heart wouldn't prohibit an instrument. Because if it did in Ephesians 5.19, of course, it would have had to in the Old Testament too. But since singing in your heart never excluded instrumental music, one couldn't argue that all of a sudden it does in Ephesians 5.19. Uh, But in addition, the Greek word combination that Paul uses in Ephesians 5.19 is a do and solo, and and that's ado and then the word solo, so sing and make melody. So these two words are actually paired together multiple times in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, which we talked a lot about in the last episode. And here's the kicker. When these two words are paired together, they never prohibit instrumental music. So once again, if God wanted to allow mechanical instruments without commanding or necessitating them, the word solo would have actually been the perfect word to use because this word didn't necessitate instrumental music, but it didn't prohibit instrumental music, which means that you could use instrumental music to solo, but you don't have to use instrumental music to solo. So this would have been the perfect word to use in the perfect pairing of words based upon everything we know about these two words and how they're used in the other text within Scripture when they're used together. So the pairing of a doe and solo can be praise without an instrument or it can be praise with an instrument. Therefore, one could acceptably a doe and solo in their heart with or without a mechanical instrument. Now, let's get a little more specific here because the argument that you're using is this whole the pluck the strings of your heart argument as i said before we didn't actually use this argument in the debate in 2 uh, in 2012 because we just didn't think it was a good argument and in psalm 33:3 in the septuagint this this verse here actually disproves that whole proposition because it reads here i'll i'll pull it up here and read it it's psalm 33:3 it literally reads in the septuagint sing to him a new song solo with loud shouts now, I use the word solo because if you're reading Psalm 33:3, it'll say something like uh, pluck the strings of an instrument or play play an instrument with loud shouts. But here's the kicker. There's no instrumental uh, there's no instrument of music in Psalm 33:3. So, you'll notice that all translators supply an instrument within the context, but a mechanical instrument is not modifying solo within this context. So, why do they assume that this soloing is with an instrument. Well, it's not because there is an instrument modifying solo, but because in the previous verse, there are mechanical instruments mentioned. Now, what exactly am I saying and what does all of this mean? Well, in, lay, in layman terms, what, this is, what I'm saying here and what this means is that even though there is no instrument modifying solo in Psalm 33, 3, solo is still being used within the context of instruments. We see that in verse 2. And all major language scholars and translators have translated Psalm 33.3 and the word solo to mean play instruments, even though there is no mechanical instrument modifying solo. So here's a clear example where instruments are present in the context of where solo is used, but solo is not modified by a mechanical instrument. So the word solo does not require an instrument as its object in order for it to be inclusive of playing. So the word solo can be used in a context without there being an instrument of, of music that's modifying it. And, in and, and this, so this whole argument that says, well, in order for solo to mean play an instrument, Uh, there has to be a mechanical instrument that, you know, that's modified, but that's just simply not true. There is not a single Greek or Hebrew scholar who holds to that rule. Uh, There's not a single one that I'm aware of. So that whole argument and the whole heartstring stuff, it may sound good, uh, but it's just interpretive uh, negligence is all it is and and more uh, imagination. It's not any kind of grammatical argument, if that makes sense.
0: Well, it does make sense, and as someone who's not a Greek scholar, and I think that points to, and and you've mentioned this before, that points to the inherent danger of relying purely on greek and greek grammar that can definitely inform our understanding but if we're basing our entire or a large majority of our argument over these greek grammatical rules whenever we don't understand koine greek and we don't have a strong command of that language we're really treading on mighty mighty thin ice and it's we're it's it's real easy to build a house of cards on something that we don't really understand well.
1: Well, yeah. And, and I keep saying we didn't even use this in 2012. And at that time, my mentor and who helped moderate the debate for me, he, he actually, um, he's very well learned in the, in the, in Greek and Hebrew, his master's was in biblical languages and, when we were looking at this argument, he went through and he he and I both studied every single occurrence of solo in the Septuagint, and he said, "Kevin, this is just a bad argument." <laughs> he said, "He said I know guys in the Church of Christ use this, and and by the way, this guy is is uh, you know still very much a part of what I would consider the conservative churches of Christ." Um, and and disagrees with me and has even called me a false teacher. But uh, even he himself said this is not a good argument to use. And this is coming from someone who does believe instrumental music is sinful and who helped prepare this debate. And someone who does study the languages and, and who is uh, very in tune with uh, with being able and very familiar with being able to, to parse this stuff out. And he said, "Look, this is just an overstatement to say." That in order for solo to include an instrument of music, there there has to be a, an instrument that that is modified, that is modifying. You know this idea of solo solo on a uh, you know drum or 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 not a drum but solo you know on a, a a harp or a lyre or whatever it might be. That's just not true. And 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 like I said, there's no grammar scholar who makes that argument. That's just some sort of argument that's been concocted by, by of the Church of Christ to say, well, look, in order for solo to ever include instrumental music, there has to be an instrument, You know, yada, yada, yada. That's just not the case. And Psalm 33, verse three shows that to be the case. And so I wanna end with this on Ephesians 5.19 because it also needs to be noted that Ephesians 5.19 says both the, the, the singing, the ado and the soloing are to be done in the heart. So if the phrase in your heart means inward and silent, then one is forced to conclude that the singing must also be inward and silent since it is to be done in the heart. By the way, there's been people who have taken that position um, in the earlier years that silent contemplation was the only thing that was authorized <laughs> because uh, we're to sing in the heart. We're not to sing in our, in our vocal cords. We're to sing in our heart. And uh, so whatever in the heart means with one action in Ephesians 5.19, it must also mean with the other. Now, if, if this reasoning were to be taken to its logical conclusion, it would actually prohibit vocal praise since the singing is to be done in the heart if we're going to take that argument and, uh, and apply it literally and across the board. So the, the point is, is that's clearly nonsensical. And when we get back to Ephesians 5.19 and the idea of in your heart, I just want to reemphasize that Paul's point is that whatever we do needs to come from our heart. He wasn't trying to give some sort of geographical language of where the action is to take place, but rather the intent of where the action's coming from.
0: Yeah. It's something that we do from our spirit and we do from within. It's we're not making music with our left ventricle. We're we're singing from the heart in a sense we're singing from our spirit in a sincere way. Yeah, and well,
1: and I, I want to make kind of a, a kind of a second argument while we're on the word solo here cuz I think we're about to jump off of that, but before we do, um, one thing that I want to I want to bring up because this was something that was confusing to me as a young Bible student. And that is when we study sources like outside sources and and lexicons, which lexicon that's just a dictionary of Greek and Hebrew words, when we do that, it, we can sometimes present limited evidence, and we project onto the evidence what we think is, is true, and we use it to our advantage without looking at the context of that evidence. And so, I, I wanna I wanna kind of make a this is somewhat of a subpoint, but also maybe we can call this argument two if we want to, and that is that the lexicons sometimes present the word solo to mean sing. And my my answer to that is I agree wholeheartedly because we talked about this at large in the last, or at length in the last episode, but I want to kind of revisit this a little bit because, uh, let me pull this up here. So for example, um, there's so many Greek lexicons that talk about the word solo. And what you see with this word solo is usually two different definitions given. And they'll break it down. So they'll say in the Old Testament, solo meant... To play an instrumental, mu- to play an instrument of music, in the New Testament it means to sing praises, and you see this constantly um, in the New Testament to sing praises. But in the New Testament, sing a hymn. In the New Testament, to sing a hymn or to celebrate the praises of God in song. In New Testament to sing praises, um, sing, sing praise. In New Testament, sing praises. In the New Testament to sing a hymn, to sing praise. And I've got all of this up. These are my all my old notes from my debate. And in the debate, I just loaded up PowerPoint slide after PowerPoint slide of all these different lexicons saying the word solo means sing, 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 And so I was trying to draw this distinction that in the Old Testament, solo meant playing, but in the in the New Testament, it meant to sing. And that's exactly true. And, and, and so what happens is, I, I went to, for example, Vine's commentary, and I made this point in the debate, and I'll read this. It says, the word solo, and this is from Vine's commentary, the word solo originally meant to play a stringed instrument with the fingers. Later, however, in the New Testament, it came to signify simply to praise without the accompaniment of an instrument. Now, you'll notice in the last episode, if you're listening, and I hope if you're listening this episode please go back and listen to the last episode first. But you'll notice I continued to talk about how the word solo simply meant to sing. It wasn't a mutually exclusive word uh, that, that meant to sing only. But people will come to like commentary such as Vine where it says later, and in the New Testament, it came to signify simply to praise without the accompany of an instrument. And they go, aha, Kevin, <laughs> we got you. Because here Vine says it actually meant uh, to praise without the accompany of an instrument. Now, that's what I used to believe because I would go to what Vine said here and what I what I was missing is the context of Vine's point because Vine didn't think it, think it was wrong to use instrumental music to worship God. The point that Vine was making is he was drawing a distinction that under the Old Testament, it primarily meant to play. Under the New Testament, it didn't mean that. It primarily meant to sing. So what Vine is saying, he's not saying that the word itself meant sing to the exclusion of instruments, but that's simply what it came to be known as, as the word solo primarily was just a vocal praise to God. And so contextually, Vine didn't believe that this excluded playing. He was simply saying that the word solo was not necessitating playing as it often did in the Old Testament because of the word change and how it predominantly was simply vocal praise, but it still was not vocal praise to the exclusion. And this is something that I never had thought about before. All of these scholars and lexicons and the, these these Greek scholars who studied the word that I was using to supposedly prove my point not a single one of them believed that instrumental music in worship was wrong. So clearly they weren't coming to the same conclusion I was, which made me start to question, well, am I reading what they're saying correctly? And the more I researched it, the points they were making is not that in the New Testament, the word was a mutually exclusive word that meant sing and you could not play, but it usually just meant sing without playing. In other words, playing was not a necessary intrinsic part of solo anymore, like it once was years prior. Does that make sense? Am I confusing everybody out there? I, I
0: think that makes sense. I'm just going to briefly summarize what you said. Whenever you look at, and this is just how I understood the point that you were making for argument number two, and it's that solo meant to um, sing and play in the Old Testament, but it only meant to sing in the New. And the idea is, is that in the Old Testament usage, solo meant primarily and predominantly singing while accompanied by an instrument whereas in the new testament it did not necessitate the playing of an instrument but it did not do so to the exclusion of using an instrument would that be correct
1: yes and and that and i'm sure there's probably a lot of people who are super confused right now and i and i was tempted not even to bring this up because um, you know, sometimes you study stuff for so long that you're not even sure what's it, what's an interesting point to, to, to you know, somebody, or not. but <laughs> your I, much I,
0: study has made you mad, but,
1: but this, this, this was something that was, to me, it was really important because the way we read any text is important, but that's the same. That's true with lexicons. You know, I, I always tell people, we have to be careful to stockpile lexicons in, in favor of, 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 a meaning but then we go and apply that meaning in a way that none of the lexic, lexic- uh, the the
0: lexic- lexicographers
1: lexicographers did. Yes, and and that's that's what I started looking at is okay. Which one of these lex you know these any of the all these lexicons will say sing sing praise in the New Testament it means sing in the Old Testament it meant play, um, but in the New Testament it, it it signified vocal praise, whereas in the Old Testament it was predominantly instrumental praise. So you 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 see that in, in this debate, I just stockpiled all of these just simple quotes of the from these lexicons. But then I started realizing: well, the authors of these lexicons who study these languages, they're not applying this to say, therefore, the word sing means that you cannot use an instrument of music. Their conclusion was simply that the word solo. When, a, when someone read that, would not think I have to use a mechanical instrument. And so yeah. that's where the change took place. And that's why I feel like so many people miss that point, because they're sitting here, you know, you have some people, by the way, who agree that mechanical instruments are okay in worship, but they try to say that they still meant to play in the New Testament. And that's not my argument. I, I don't think that's a valid argument. I think there's enough Uh, data to show that primarily in the New Testament and and by the first century, with the exception of Josephus and a few others, the word primarily was a vocal word or or it it meant vocal praise. And so that's the distinction that these lexicons are making. They're not trying to prove the point that solo was a mutually exclusive word. And because that's the way that I understood it, and many members of the Church of Christ abuse these lexicons and go, ah, see, Kevin, look, you know, I, I can pull out 20 lexicons that say sing. That proves my point. Well, I've already got all those lexicons. I got like 30-something of them here and uh, that I use for the debate. And all of them say sing, yes. But they're all drawing the comparison. That in the Old Testament, it meant play. New Testament, it means sing. Where we go wrong is we say sing. Only, is exclusive and it's exclusive yeah. to the point of it's sinful if you do it. And that's just simply not what any of these lexicons mean. And the authors of these lexicons mean because th- they themselves were involved in instrumental praise. So they obviously didn't believe that's what it meant. So I, I hope that's not confusing people too much. I, we're probably getting into the weeds a little bit too much, but I want people to know the the extent of 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 these arguments and why we have to really be careful with how we even read lexicons as well.
0: Well, and if you are confused, shoot us an email and we'll clarify it for you for sure. Well, argument number 3 is this and this this should be a real simple one and a real quick one for us to get to. And it's the idea that instrumental music may be acceptable, maybe it is, but it can be distracting and it can shift our focus from the spiritual to the physical. And instead of focusing on the words that we sing and the recipient of our praise and the purpose of our praise and the sacrifice of our lips and of our hearts, well, then we begin to focus on the quality of the music played. We focus on the skill of the musician rather than the quality of the praise itself and whether or not it's actually coming from the heart. And so for that reason, instrumental music ought to be rejected because it shifts our focus away from the the physical, and on, or rather, away from the spiritual, and onto the physical.
1: Yeah, that, that's uh, that's just not an argument. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's really not. It's an assertion. And the thing is, is that's an that's another argument that, that I well, had used. Well, it can be true. I mean, there, there's no well, doubt
1: that can be true, but that, that's not well, an it can be true. instrumental music.
0: No, yeah. it, the thing is, is it can be true about anything. You know, the idea that instrumental music can distract us and shift our focus to the physical instead of the spiritual, that can be true of anything. If If the preacher wears a really loud tie whenever they get up to talk, that can shift our focus away from things. You, you know, it, it doesn't mean that wearing a red tie is sinful. It just means I need to focus better is what that means. And really even cappella singing can be distracting and it can shift our focus away from the spiritual and onto the physical. You know, whenever we, I, I can remember a particular song leader that I won't name. Um, but I can remember a particular song leader who was very adamant, and and I don't disagree with this just in in theory. He was very adamant about giving our best to God. And and I do believe that there's that there's a lot of merit in that, and there's a tremendous amount of sincerity in that idea of giving our best to God. But it, it would almost go too far because he would get up and he would lead a song. And in the churches of Christ, especially in the South, we sing songs that are four-part harmony. We sing a lot of old hymns um, with a, a lead or a soprano, an alto, a tenor, and a bass. And if someone weren't leading their part right, if they weren't holding a half note long enough or a dotted quarter note for the appropriate amount of time— or if they were going up too high or going too low, if they were getting flat or if they were missing a certain part, if it was kind of a call and response, or if it was something sung in a row, it will hit stop the song. And he would explain, this needs to be sang this way. This is how we sing it. We're messing it up. And we'd go back and we'd re-sing the stanza. I remember one Sunday afternoon, we sang the same stanza five times. Wow. before we got it right. And this wasn't singing practice. This wasn't where we were getting together to sing, just to practice new songs or something like that. This was within the context of a worship service. And just because something can go awry, that doesn't necessarily mean that that thing in and of itself is condemned. Just because a practice can be abused doesn't mean that it's a practice that shouldn't be done in the first place. So I agree with you. This really isn't an argument at all. You have anything you want to add to that?
1: No, I mean it, it, you, anything can be abused, and it, you and I both have pointed out that instrumental music is not a requirement um, or anything of that nature. And if there's churches who feel that way and they believe that singing without instrumental music is is what they think is the best practice for their uh, church community and group, then by all means, please do it. In fact, I've been to places where uh, the 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 music just was not very good. It was too loud. It was distracting. And so I think this argument could be valid, but it wouldn't be valid against the use of instrumental music. It would be more of a personal preference because I've been to places where, you know, I think the singing was distracting or the song leader was you know, no, I don't mean to be ugly, but I mean, he was horrible. And so I, I, <laughs> to me, I wasn't able to worship God properly because of that. And so, yeah,
0: yeah, uh, you were somewhere where I was leading a song then that's what you're saying. Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and so, I mean, I agree with, with the whole principle behind whatever, you know, if something is distracting to the point where, it could hinder us from worshiping, you know, perhaps we need to change our own attitudes toward that, but maybe there needs to be something within the structure that's changed as well. But that has nothing to do intrinsically with, you know, the, the whether or not a song leader should be used or whether or not an instrument should be used or whether or not singing should be used that that's not really the the argument there. And so while I think that this argument is valid when it comes to things that could distract us and things that could hinder us from worshiping this has nothing to do directly with with instrumental music much less saying that it shouldn't be used because that that could be the case Um, because i've been to i've i've known of people who grew up with instrumental music and you know they can't go to a church of christ and worship properly because they're so used to instrumental music that to them it's distracting not being able to have the music uh, the instrumental music. And so, you know, you could argue that either way that doesn't prove or disprove instrumental music one way or the other, but uh, let's kind of get into the, unless, yeah. unless you got something else to say. on No, nah, that.
0: no, nah, that's it. I mean, that's, that's, it's real simple, real straightforward. We don't need to belabor that point at all. The, especially with this next, this next argument that's made because this is another argument that I still see popping up on different feeds and on different discussions on social media on, other places this one is a big one that a lot of people like to espouse and this is one that you and i have talked about that that you hammered hard that you hit super hard and you later found out you were you were 100 wrong about it so this is a big one that we're probably going to spend some time on and our fourth argument that we'll discuss is that as further evidentiary power for further evidence that instrumental music is is prohibited and not authorized the early church, in early church history, we see that the early church unanimously and vehemently condemned instrumental music, that instrumental music was not utilized in the worship of the church until much, much later, somewhere in, around what the, the six or the eight hundreds or whatever, depending yeah, on I mean, who usually you ask. You'll,
1: you'll hear, you know, the six hundreds um, somewhere around the seventh century is, is typically sometimes People will say, well, you know, in the in the, the sixth century, the uh, you know, maybe the latter part of the fifth century, some individuals were using instrumental music. But for the first at least five, five to six hundred years, just the early church vehemently and unanimously condemned instrumental music. And it was just this kind of sweeping statement that I used man, I used it and I yeah. believed it. I went to, growing up, I remember going to youth events and we would do apologetics classes on beliefs that we held to. And I remember just uh, the teacher going through um, the early church history and saying how, you know, one of the reasons why we don't use instrumental music is it's not authorized, but the early church knew that it wasn't authorized. And it wasn't until the Catholics came along and, 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 Messed everything up and added instrumental music, and you know, and then the reformers uh, came along and they were opposed to instrumental music, and it was just it was this oversimplification. I mean, it sounded like it was this airtight argument, and usually two or three quotes would be given from some members in the early church, and people would say, "Wow, this is just powerful," and if this doesn't prove it, I don't know what does, and this this is just added argumentation to prove there's no authority, and I'm, I'm just going to be the first to say I was guilty of listening to one or two sermons, reading several books and taking what those books said without actually looking at the sources themselves. And and that is a mistake. And let me tell you, you don't want to get in that kind of dilemma in a formal public debate. And that's what I actually <laughs> did. So I had gotten up there and um, quoted just a couple of early church fathers and made this statement in my last speech, which was also unfair because I wasn't supposed to introduce any new material, but I did. Um, because, you know, when you think you're defending the truth, you can bend the rules a little bit. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I got up there and I just kind of threw out there how, in addition to all these biblical arguments I used in this debate, the early church also condemned instrumental music. And there's not a hint that anyone anywhere for the first 500 years thought instrumental music was okay. Well, Jason Weatherly got up there and I noticed when I said that in the debate, like his eyes lit up. Like I have been waiting the last two nights for you to bring this up. You know, like you could, I could just tell that he he liked that I said that, which was, which kind of caused me to question while I was up there speaking, like, okay, what did I just say that made him so happy? Because I can yeah. tell looking over there that he was happy at something I just said, man, he got up there and absolutely just blistered my behind, man. I mean, it was, <laughs> and, and I'm so thankful it was the last speech and I'm so thankful. I didn't get up there and said earlier, well, I say I'm so thankful. Maybe I needed that humiliation, but uh, it, 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 he just got up there and said what Kevin said is completely false. Kevin is just regurgitating arguments um, he's heard, he has not read the original sources, and I'm gonna demonstrate that. And he just went through and just boom, boom, point by point. And I'm just sitting there like looking over at David, who is my moderator, and I'm like, what in the world, man? And I remember in that debate, we both looked at each other and we joked, and 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 you can still see us in the video. You don't know what we're saying because you just see us on in our little table. And we both are smiling. And I said, dude, I'm so glad I don't have to get back up. there." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, have you ever heard of this? He goes, man, I've never heard of any of this stuff. And uh, I said, well, we, we're going to have to research this after the debate because I said, this is all new to me. Yeah. So in my well, what mind, did you
0: find whenever you researched that? Yeah.
1: So in my mind, just to let people know that I wasn't being completely dishonest. I I didn't think that was enough to change because the way I dismissed this was, well, that's early church history anyway, and that's not my authority. My authority is the Bible. So it doesn't really matter about you know early church history anyway. That was kind of the way I dismissed it. But the problem I ran into is this is something that I, I had been taught and I had believed, and this was just supposedly an open and shut case. So when I started digging a little bit deeper, I asked Jason for his uh, for his notes, and he has a whole link to all of this. And uh, I ended up writing an article about it as well, which I pull from a lot of his study on this. And all of this is just directly from their own quotes of the early church fathers. It's not secondhand information, which makes it so powerful because you can actually read what they say about it. You know, I take my word for it. So what I found is that the early church did not unanimously condemn instrumental music in the early church. And even those who discouraged it oftentimes actually did not condemn it. And furthermore, those who did discourage instrumental music and in worship also usually discouraged it for any reason and in any setting. And they were highly influenced by the musical puritanism of pagan intellectuals. And believe that silent contemplation was actually the proper approach to God's worship. And they even believed vocal music was a weak, was a human concession that God did not desire.
0: <laughs> yeah, that and that ties back into what we were just talking about with Ephesians 5.19 at the top of this episode.
1: Yeah. And I will say though that their argument was not the same argument that we use or that yeah, some in the yeah. church, you know, the argument of the early church fathers who did oppose instrumental music was not on the basis of there being no authority. That that was there. There's not a single early church writer who uses that rationale. And I'll explain that here in a moment. But before I do that, I want to go to one of the earliest church fathers, Clement of Alexandria, who lived in the second century. So one of the earliest church fathers. And I want to be very clear for those who are not too familiar with early church history. When I say early church history, I'm talking about post-apostolic writings, those uh, Christian men and women who lived after the apostles beginning in the second century, we have their writings. These, these individuals are not authoritative, but they do explain what they believed. And we have the writings of what happened uh, shortly after the apostles. And so Clement was one of the earliest church fathers. He lived in the epicenter of Neoplatonism. Uh, neo-Pla- uh, and he thought that musical instruments had no place in a Christian's life. He wrote about this quite extensively, but he also believed that mechanical instruments had no place in a Christian's life at all, whether it was in worship or even at a secular banquet or even just someone plucking the strings of any instrument any time. He believed that, that that was never something that a Christian should involve themselves in, ideally. However, here's what's interesting about this, Lee. Despite his strong feelings about this, He actually never condemned the use of instrumental music, either at banquets or in worship to God. And we know this because of what he wrote. This is what he said, quote, this is in Anti-Nicene Fathers, volume one, page 249. He said, quote, for the apostle adds again, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to God. He's quoting from Colossians 3.16. Then he goes on to say, and again, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and his Father. This is our thankful revelry. And even if you wish to sing and play to the harp or lyre, there is no blame or condemnation. So here we have in the second century, an individual, a church father, who has his own personal feelings against instrumental music, but then he writes that he doesn't think there's anything wrong, as far as condemning someone or blaming someone if they do choose to take a mechanical instrument and such as a harp or the lyre and, and or the lyre and play with it in worship to God. Now, Clemens' quote demonstrates a couple things. Not only did he not obviously condemn instrumental music in worship because he explicitly said he he didn't condemn it and there was no blame. But this also means that there were enough Christians incorporating it into their worship at this time to warrant him addressing it. <laughs> now, yeah. if, if this was not a practice, if Christians weren't taking the harp and lyre and, and, and singing and playing to God in worship, then why in the world would Clement have addressed it in the first place?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't make any sense. If it's not something that's going on, you're not going to talk about it.
1: No, and so this single quote is enough. I mean, this, this is enough. Like, this is this is all we need. You can have a hundred church fathers saying that they don't like instrumental music, but this one quote shows that it obviously was not unanimously condemned. Clement didn't uh, condemn it, and there were obviously enough people playing instrumental music in worship to God that they didn't think there was anything wrong with it. So we see in the second century individuals using mechanical instruments. This one quote alone blows my mind. And here's what's so frustrating about this, Lee. It is so frustrating. <laughs> People will, will take what I just said, and you know what they'll do? They'll go to the quotes where Clement uh, talks about how he doesn't like instrumental music in worship. And they'll focus on those. I know that those exist. I know that those are there. But Clement goes on to say he does not condemn people who use them. I, I don't know how people can just overlook this. I, the, the, like I, when I wrote my article on this, people were saying, well, uh, you know, Clement didn't use instrumental music. It's like that's not my point. My point is that Clement uses me. My point is that he didn't condemn those who did, which meant other people were currently using instrumental music to praise God in the second century. People do all sorts of gymnastics around this league. People will say, uh, Dr. Kevin Moore, I'm going to bring him back back up. I'm not trying to pick on him, but I mean, he's the one who responded to my article back in 2015. And he said this, he said, um, well, Clement could have just been talking about private worship, not public worship. I Like what? Like, I mean, (laughs) you know, we're, 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 you cannot hit a moving target, and when people continue to move the target, you know first. You're, first, the argument is, well, there's no evidence that anybody in the early church used instrumental music to praise God. Then well, here's
0: you, some evidence. Yeah, then you yeah. show the
1: evidence, and they go, well, we don't know if that was public or private. The target keeps moving, guys. Let's quit moving the dackum target. Let's let's get intellectually honest for a moment and just yeah. deal with the information. So it's very frustrating. But this isn't it. This isn't it. Wasn't Clement's not the only one. You, you get into uh, to, to around 306, 373. So now we're getting into uh, the fourth century, a couple centuries later from Clement. And you have Ephraim, who was a Syrian. And he says, let us praise that voice whose glory is hemmed with our lute and his virtue with our harp. The Gentiles have assembled and have come to hear his strains. Um, clearly within context, he's talking about praising God within, with mechanical instruments. Um, Jerome Another in the fourth century, he speaks of a Christian, quote unquote, sister who praises with the timbrel and teaches women to be lute players for the Savior. And he does so, by the way, based upon Miriam in Exodus fifteen twenty. 20. Um, this is what he says. He says, oh, that you could see your sister and that I, that it might be yours to hear the eloquence of her holy lips and to behold the mighty spirit, which animates her her fame. Or her frame. You might hear the whole contents of the Old and New Testaments come bubbling up together out of her heart. For fasting is her sport, and prayer she makes her pastime. Like Miriam and the drowning Pharaoh, she takes up her timbrel and sings to the virgin choir. Let us sing to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. She teaches her music companions to be music girls, but music girls for Christ, and to be lute players, but only lute players for the Savior. Sounds like mechanical instruments are being used in worship to me. It
0: certainly <laughs> does. I mean, well, in, in that in and of itself and linking all of this together, it's— it's obvious that these are things that were being done in the early church before the 7th century, before the 8th century, before the ninth century, wherever it is that people state that instruments were first introduced. Because that's the talking point that I've heard over and over again, that instruments were first introduced at this particular point in history. But we're seeing writings that predate that point that speak to this already occurring.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, Julianus, a Spanish bishop, um he talks about how organs have were in common use in the spanish churches by the 5th century and and yeah. this wasn't just introduced this was a common common occurrence and so here's the response to all of this yeah kevin but there are many who discourage instrumental music in the early church we see tertullian we see origen i mean we see a, a plethora of councils we see you know, we see all of these different individuals. And by the way, there is, there's does there's, I'm going to say dozens, but I think there's at least 12 quotes I had in my debate. And all of those are true. Yes, there were many individuals in the early church who condemned or, or who just, dis- I'll say, discouraged the use of instrumental music because it wasn't until later that it was really, truly condemnable. Most just discouraged the use, but actually didn't condemn it like, like I used to. But yeah. here here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. It wasn't, you know, uh, it wasn't unanimous. And and here is something that most people don't think about either. Why? Why did they discourage instrumental music? And if you understand the reasons why they did it, it's not because the reason the Church of Christ does it. It's not because they didn't think there was any authority. Let me let me let me just go on a little bit further here. And and this is just mind blowing. man. This is so Mm -hmm. interesting. So here's the deal. It was not uncommon for most of these writers to condemn even vocal praise at times. So here's what you have. You have people who want to quote Tertullian or Origen and say, oh, the instrument is wrong. We shouldn't be using instrumental music. They believe that it was wrong to use instrumental music in any setting, at any time, for any purpose, with any songs, not just worship. So I don't know of any Christian. I have never met a single Christian who opposes instrumental music in worship who also opposes instrumental music at any time for any reason in any setting. I've never met one. But those same individuals are going to use Tertullian origin and these other early church fathers and say, well, look, they agree with me. No, they don't. They don't agree with you. They would think you're wrong. They would think you're in sin. You're going to go and play bluegrass on Saturday night. They would say that you're wrong. They think that instrumental music is sinful, period. Now, the question is, why did they believe that? Well, before we get to that point, I want to just give a couple of quotes here. This is from uh, Danny Corbett's book, Whose view of history? We need to have Danny on on here. He was yeah. actually present at my debate. And um, after that debate, I went up to him. I was such an arrogant jerk to him. I said, he introduced himself. He was so kind. He said, I've written a couple of books on instrumental Music and I'd love to know your take. I said, I've already read them and I've I've already refuted all of them. Um, oh wow. all your arguments. He said, Well, I would love to hear your, your I would love to hear how you refuted my arguments. He, he was being just very kind very just kind, respectful individual. And I said, well, I just did deny it. And, um, you know, and and I'll be honest with you, I did read his book, but I wasn't really taking his arguments into consideration because I was approaching it with, I already know the answers and he's already wrong yeah. because I've got the truth and he disagrees with me, but he's written another book since then called whose view of history. And it's specifically about this topic. And uh, he, he said this, he said, it wasn't just musical instruments. We will find that the same influence made these Christians even hesitant to accept unaccompanied singing in their assemblies, wrestling with vocal singing as being an innovation. There was an openness to singing eventually once Christianity was freed from persecution by the edicts of toleration. But while the chanting of all scripture had been common, they struggled not only with instrumental music, but these same authors also struggled with vocal music. And then another quote here, this is from a different book, The Idea of Music, an Introduction to Musical Aesthetics in Antiquity in the Middle Ages. Um, He says, There were among the fathers those who believed that silent contemplation was the proper approach to God's worship, and thus to allow singing was only to grant a concession to the weakness, and those human beings who found silent contemplation difficult are impossible. Now, Keep in mind something to understand when talking about the early church fathers. Not a single one of the early church fathers were Jewish. Uh, these early yeah. non-Jewish church leaders were unlearned in a lot of the Jewish culture and customs and linguistics. So since they had been converted out of paganism and Greek philosophy, the teachings of uh, pa- uh, pagan philosophers like, uh, like Plato or Aristotle or Socrates or Plutarch, or uh, there's just so many we can name they were influenced by these by these thinkers. And the various attitudes that these newly converted Christians had towards scripture, uh, it, it usually, we could see how it was kind of enmeshed with a lot of Greek thought. And so it was this musical puritanism of the pagan intellectuals and these Greeks that they brought over and said, well, we don't need to, to use instrumental music. Only the weak individuals use instrumental music. And so they were the ones who did oppose instrumental music, which it was not unanimous. It was the, aesthetic, the aesthetics who opposed instrumental music. And they did so on the basis that they believed it was a weak concession, not just in worship to God, but at any time, and even questioned if we should be vocally singing to God instead of just mentally contemplating the words. And so much of early Christian thought was Neoplatonic. I mean, I'm going to get into a lot of this in my book, by the way. Um, kind of understanding the early church fathers and and their beliefs and where they came from. But here's the point. Far from a biblical or Jewish precedent, opposition to instrumental music appears to stem from the musical puritism of pagan intellectuals and has its roots in paganism. So if we're going to say we don't use instrumental music and we're like the early church fathers you're actually using a, a paganistic argument. <laughs> it's what you're yeah. doing. You're not using a book, chapter, and verse argument.
0: Well, and what's so interesting is, is that there are so many of these paganism arguments that are used to speak by so many, including myself at one point, against celebrating Christmas or celebrating Easter or anything like that. But we'll use these paganistic arguments that are rooted in paganism to support our position on using instrumental music. And another thing is you were saying this that's so interesting to me is that the idea that these early church fathers that are often cited as being opposed to instrumental music being used within the churches, what's so interesting to me is is how this is that inherited belief system that they had through uh, Neoplatonism and through their pagan intellectualism they were espousing their inherited beliefs as well. Their lenses colored, their perspective, their social context, their cultural context played a role in how they utilized or how they argued for or against vocal singing or instrumental music or anything else. And it's really, whenever you think about in those terms, it's really not all that different from today. And it's really not all that different from the the last argument that we'll consider this, this evening before we bring this conversation to a close. And it's that, well, well, well the, oh, go ahead. What do you got? Well,
1: but Before we move on to that last one, I just want to say one more thing, too, is that we, we have to be very careful. And I'm saying myself included when we talk about the early church, because we, we sometimes and when I say we, I mean, sometimes I do this. A, a lot of preachers and ministers do this. Sometimes even scholars do this. Um, with the understanding that it should be taken into context. But we'll even say the early church believed this or the early church condemned this. And when we do that, we make it sound like the early church was this unit of uniformity that all spoke univocally. And that's just not true. There was a lot of interpretive pluralism, even among the earliest Christians. And so it, it's more, it would be more proper to say there were many in the early church church who believed that using instrumental music in any setting was wrong because of their influence of their pagan roots and this paganistic puritanism of this this musical intellectualism now that's a lot that's that that's a, a mouthful and most people wouldn't even understand what that means They're like well, what are you talking about well if we're going to state what the early church believed we're going to ha- we need to actually state the totality of what exactly they they did mean when they condemned something because otherwise we can make it look like the early church agrees with us like oh well, see I don't believe there's a book chapter and verse for instrumental music and neither did the early church well that's not true at all that wasn't the early church's rationale and when it, once again I just I just did what I said that we shouldn't be guilty of I said the early church. <laughs> didn't it. but these these early church fathers who did condemn it and so what what we see is. No, not all early church fathers condemned instrumental music. Yes, there were at least some early church, uh, early Christians using instrumental music in the second century. And definitely by the third, by the fourth, fifth centuries, it was a common occurrence in many churches. So the the ones who did disagree with it, we have to look at why they disagreed with it. And when we do that, it should make us a little more hesitant to use them as any sort of, of authority or feel good about it because their, their conclusions are nowhere near our conclusions. And this is something uh, Ferguson uh, said and I, I thought that this was a really, really good way of putting it. He said um, he said the gathering of many texts with limited comments may leave a false impression of uniformity among the early church. Sometimes even when texts seem to agree, the different contexts from which they come from show a diversity in doctrinal viewpoint. And I think that's, that's a great quote because what he's saying is is that oftentimes quotes of the early church, just like the Bible, are selective and limited to prove a point instead of contextual and exhaustive. And so we need to be more contextual and exhaustive when we're studying these, uh, these different positions
0: of the yeah, early church. Context is key, brother. And that idea of context really plays a large role in the, the last argument that we'll consider before we wrap this up. And it's the idea that the reformers oppose instrumental music. Now, what's so interesting to me is, is that, you know, we tend to cherry pick so much of what we believe and what we use to support our positions. For example, the early church fathers, it, it's not uncommon to point back to them and say that they opposed instrumental music and so did the reformers and they oppose it because they opposed it, we oppose that that demonstrates a continuity of, of ideology throughout the years and throughout the ages. And yet we'll turn around and we'll condemn them for promoting some other idea or whatever else. So we che- even then we cherry pick what <laughs> what they have to say about it. But with the reformers, they're a little closer to our era. The writings of the early church fathers have been preserved, but the writings of the reformers doubly so, because the reformers are very well known. Their writings have been preserved throughout the years. And so we can look back on what the reformers said about a particular issue or thing or whatever else. And that's not to say that anybody's ever been right about 100% of all things 100% of the time, but You know, it's reasonable to conclude that these reformers were pretty smart dudes. They were pretty smart cats. So they they knew what they were talking about in some manner. But there are people that say that that John Wesley opposed instrumental music, that Martin Luther opposed instrumental music, that Charles Spurgeon himself opposed instrumental music, that they all opposed these instruments. But history really doesn't bear that out either.
1: No, no, not at all. And this is something else where uh, I I just have to, Say thank you to Jason Weatherly, who I debated in 2012, because I mean he did just a, a magnificent job at, at researching this. And what happens once again, I know I'm selling like a like just a, a recording. A broken here. record. Yeah, yeah, as I as I keep <laughs> saying but we love the you same anyway. thing over and over again. But when you look at the reformers, oftentimes members of the churches of Christ, myself included, at in 2012, we're guilty of finding a phrase that someone said that agrees with our position and we don't research it. We don't see what else they said. We just say, oh, well, this this works. And so I'm just going to take it and run with it. So once again, there are times when Martin Luther, John Wesley, some of these other individuals, you can find these quotes that are negative toward instrumental music. But there are other quotes that expand the conversation to show that they actually did not condemn the use of instrumental music, and in some cases, actually used it themselves. So let's let's talk about Martin Luther. There's no need me going into all the times when maybe they spoke negatively about it, because I'm just saying that I'm assuming that I, I agree. I've, I've, I'm not just assuming it. I know that they sometimes speak negatively about instrumental music in their writings, but in the totality of their writings, they never condemn it. So let's look at Martin Luther in around you know 1541. He presented a Bible to an organist. Wolf Hines, in which this is what he wrote, quote, the stringed instruments of the following psalms are to help in the singing of this new song. And Wolf Hines and all, uh, all, all uh, pious Christian musicians should let their singing and playing to the praise of the Father in all grace sound forth with joy from their organs and whatever other beloved musical instruments there are. So Martin Luther clearly did not condemn. That does not sound like a condemning music. statement. Yeah. Um, John Wesley. Now you've probably heard this one, Lee. I, I, I actually have used this one before.
0: As and, have I. Okay, I quoted right. this one as well.
1: Here we go. This is the quote. John Wesley. Apparently, this is the quote people say he said. I have no objection to instruments of music in our worship, provided they are neither seen. Nor her members of the Church of Christ, man, they just indulge in this quote. But there's a problem with this quote. Do you know what that problem is, Lee?
0: Yeah, I do. John Wesley actually <laughs> never said it.
1: Well, there's no there is no problem.
0: There's no evidence yes. that John Wesley ever actually so, said this. So
1: here's what's interesting about this: um, there, there's there's no evidence that no first-hand evidence John Wesley ever said this. Instead, this statement is actually a secondhand quote taken from Adam Clark. And there's no source material or evidence that he uses in his commentary. He just simply states it as a fact. So we don't know where Adam Clark got this from. John Wesley perhaps could have said this to Adam Clark in a private conversation, um, or, or not said it, but you know, there could have been some sort of... Um, a private conversation John Wesley had that was that that um, Adam Clark, you know maybe some sort of letter that Adam Clark read that was later destroyed or I, I don't know. I mean there's there's just no way of knowing where Adam Clark got this from and why he said this because he quotes no source material or evidence to conclude um, that John Wesley ever said this. In fact, Steve Wolfgang, who is a minister in the Churches of Christ, he actually said this about this uh, quote in Truth Magazine. He said, though having some exposure to the, uh, to the Westland tradition, I have been unable to document this often quoted statement anywhere else. We are not attempting here to be hypercritical of the excellent work of brethren in compiling useful quotations, but we wish to counsel all of us, self-included, to be extremely careful to check the re- reliability of what we quote if we must quote.
0: (laughs) Well, and brother, that's just good advice. Yeah, I mean, it's like that quote that was going around is this meme going around the internet a while back. Like you can't believe everything you read on the internet, quote, Abraham Lincoln, you know, it's, it's things like that. And so often we don't source those quotes. We see them, we take them, we run with them. And then before you know it, we have helped perpetuate a myth. We've helped perpetuate and we have ascribed to someone that which they never said or that which they never intended to even communicate now and that's problematic that hurts our credibility over the long term
1: well and it and it yes it discounts if we're actually trying to look and, and this, this is this is where i i try to be very careful when i make a statement to not state it so factually that i cannot be wrong because if I'm stating something so arrogantly and it's later proven to be false, then that shows a lack of research on my part. And, you know, what that does is it it causes, as you pointed out, us, you know, it, it makes us look like we're not credible. Like, well, look, you know, Kevin's quoting this stuff, but I mean, you know, this guy got up there and showed none of it's true. Well, why would people listen to me going forward? And so we have to make sure that we're, we're quoting honestly. And even when we do quote, if we've not done our due diligence and we're using a quote, we need to say, we we need to acknowledge that and say, well, this is what this quote says, but I've I've not taken the time to research it out fully to see if this is a valid argument. Really, if we haven't done it, we probably don't need to be using it in the first place, but here's why, here's why we're saying this to the, to the contrary here, John Wesley did not condemn musical instruments and worship to God. And in fact, there are many references, Lee, to organ music in Wesley's journals. For example, in one of his journals, Wesley's Journal, Volume volume 4, page 339, it states, this is what uh, he says. We had a large and serious congregation at the new church, both morning and afternoon. The organ is one of the finest toned I have ever heard, and the congregation singing along with it makes a sweet harmony. So it, it shows how... Short-sighted and narrow-sided we are when we when we're just quoting these things and they're not even a reliable source. When we actually did have a reliable source from John Wesley's or or, uh, or yeah from John Wesley's own journal here, where he is talking about instrumental music and singing along and worshiping with it and what a sweet sound it makes. So that's another one that. I mean, just another restorationist here, a reformationist here who had no problem with instrumental music. And then also Charles Spurgeon. Boy, he said some negative things about instrumental music and in worship, but he never condemned it. And he said this, quote, we do not believe these things to be expedient in worship, talking about instrumental music, lest they should mar its simplicity. We, though, do not affirm them to be unlawful, Now, I've heard members of the Church of Christ quote the first part, but not quote the rest of his paragraph. They quote, we do not believe these things to be expedient in worship, lest they should mar its simplicity. But they don't go on to, to quote the rest, where he says, but we do not affirm them to be unlawful. And if any George Herbert or Martin Luther can worship God better, because they both did, George Herbert and Martin Luther worship God. Hear some music. Can worship God better by the aid of well-tuned mechanical instruments? Who shall gainsay their right? We do not need them. They would hinder rather than help our praise. But if others are otherwise minded to use them, are they not simply living according to gospel liberty? So, oh,
0: you use the L word, liberty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, and, and, so here's the point. My point is not that I think we should follow early church history, or that we, you know, the 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 reformers are our authority. My point is that in the churches of Christ, I was taught that the early church condemned mechanical instruments, and that the reformers condemned instrumental music, and that's simply not true. As I said before, a much more accurate statement would be to to say that some of the reformers condemned instrumental music because it wasn't very many. Adam Clark certainly did condemn instrumental music. He thought Amos six condemned instrumental music uh, even under the Old Testament law. Yeah. But the majority of reformers did not condemn instrumental music. And the ones who had a problem with it simply saw it as a matter of liberty and that other people could use it and that they shouldn't draw lines of fellowship or condemn others. And then the early church... Not everyone condemned instrumental music and the ones that did typically condemned it in any setting for any reason. And even several of those individuals believe that singing itself was a weak or a concession for the weak. that is not something that we should be aiming toward. And so, I mean, this stuff is just, I don't know, Lee, it, it, sh- it shows me, it humbles me to show how much I thought I knew. And then the more I studied, I realized just how selective and limited my study and research really was
0: well it does to me too man it's a demonstration of just how powerful those inherited belief patterns are and how much stock and how much faith we put into the work and the minds of others and that's not to say that reading after other people or listening to what other people has to say is a bad thing but one of the things that you are so fond of saying over and over again on this podcast is that we have to work out our own faith. We have to have our own convictions. And so often, whenever it comes to these, these topics that are so taboo to discuss, because you know we can have this conversation now, but even five years ago, whenever I was beginning to wonder about instrumental music, and this was a period of time where I was still preaching against it. I was still wondering in the back of my mind, I had this little nagging doubt. Is it really as condemnable as I'm making it out to be? And what I realize now looking back on that is that this belief pattern and that little question that was in my mind meant that this conviction about instrumental music that I held to for for so long and, and for quite a while ago, That wasn't my own conviction. That was a conviction that I had inherited. That was a conviction that I was told that I must have, and it's one that I didn't study out. And the talking points that I heard to support that position, in support of that position, from resources that supported that position, they didn't really go and do their due diligence to fully flesh all of those things out. And whenever you operate on a paradigm that demands that you get everything right, otherwise your soul risks condemnation, well then questioning anything that bumps up against that narrative, it's a scary proposition.
1: Well, and this is why it's so frustrating. It, it the, the most frustrating thing to me is when people look at me and say, Kevin, you no longer study anymore. You don't care about the truth. That is so frustrating to me because yes. like it would be so easy for me to collect a paycheck and just say the same thing week in and week out like I was doing. This is something that whether you know people agree or disagree, it's like I, I do take personal offense to that because, man, I take this so seriously that I almost look back and say, I used to not take it seriously. I mean, I thought I was taking it seriously then, but my, my research was so limited. And that's even like with this new book I'm writing right now. I keep putting off the date because I keep reading to make sure that I'm not misrepresenting anything because before I was ignorant, but I was so confident. And now uh, that I know how much I don't know, it makes me more aware of, of my my own human fallibility And the fact that I need to be careful. And even when talking about things like this, you know, I am always open for discussion, but we have to be honest. We have to be fair. I talked about the moving target, how, you know, look, there's going to be people who listen to this. And uh, in fact, someone took my article where I wrote about the early church and the reformers, and someone had posted it, and someone said, well, this doesn't prove that instrumental music is okay in worship and those types of things. And I'm like, and the person's like, well, that it wasn't doesn't. The, that's not the point. Of the but that's article. not the point. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's, like, it's like, that's not the point. The point is to show that we have been misrepresenting history. And, you know, we we have we have revised, we've taken a revisionist approach to the early church and the reformers to try to make them say things that they never said or to take the things they did say and to put it in a context in which they didn't mean it. And, you know, that's what I was trying to say with with the lexicons, when we're talking about words we can do the same thing if we're not careful because we'll we'll, we'll we, when we find what we're looking for we don't keep looking right i mean and, and this is yep. this is what i tell people all the time if we're trying to be honest in our research it's not enough to say i'm going to stop reading because i found what i'm looking for we've got to make sure that we're doing our due diligence and hearing all sides to, to the best of our ability. I mean, we're not always going to be able to hear every single thing there is or, or every argument. I mean, time doesn't allow for that. But it's far too easy to to, to stop studying when we found what we're looking for instead of actually yeah. going a little bit deeper. And, you know, I tell people all the time, if, you're, if you lost your keys, when you find your keys, you don't keep looking for keys. You, you think you found them. When you're looking for the quote that says instrumental music is wrong or I oppose instrumental music and you find it, in the early church fathers you're not going to challenge that you're not going to question it you're going to say hey this sounds like it agrees with me i'm going to start using this in my favor now and that's just negligence it's intellectual neg- negligence and and we have to be better than that
0: yeah absolutely brother that is absolutely spot on because it's it's that's the entire exercise of this podcast is to explore these aspects that we may not be aware of. That's why we reach out to the pe- to the people we reach out to to join us to have these conversations. We want to do our due diligence. We don't just want to land in a place and and stop our exploration of our faith no further than that point. Yeah. I know there are convictions that I have. There are convictions that I have I have shifted on. There are perspectives of mine that have changed. There are still some perspectives that I hold on to, but the biggest thing that has changed for me is it's the it's the same thing as the biggest thing that's changed for you. It's the approach to the scriptures in general and a realization that when the Scriptures are put in their proper place, and that is subservient to Jesus. And we're not worshiping the scriptures as we often do, or rather, we're not worshiping our interpretation of the scriptures. Well, at that point, the entire paradigm shifts. And that's what's happened with you. That's what's happened with me. And we're providing to our listeners a window into that process. And as we've gone through these previous three episodes on instrumental music and why we have changed, we have covered the major bases on why. Our perspectives shifted and you have done the vast majority of the discussion in in this podcast on that to that end. But that's because the things that we're discussing in this podcast, in this particular episode, are things that you have spent more time studying than I have, and you have a greater degree of resources to present that information than what I do. And that's why we work so well together. We both have the gift to be able to have these conversations and where one of us may lack a little bit of knowledge, the other one can help fill in the blanks. And that's why we bring the guests on that we bring on, because it helps to flesh all that out. So, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. We, we, we want yeah. people to, uh, we want to bring people on to who study these things. And, you know, there's some things like marriage, divorce, and remarriage and, and uh, annihilationism and conditionalism and, and instrumental music. Those are things that I've put a lot of study into because those, those are more so than probably any other topics. Um, and, and now I would say probably how to approach scripture, because I've been studying that for the last three years, very, uh, intense, intensely and extensively. But, you know, I think that's also something else, knowing your limitations of when you have done more study on certain topics. And even then, I'm very careful to say, well, I've done so much study on this, so it's all wrapped up and everything's good to go. No, I'm I'm still trying to be open and I'm still trying to hear what other people have to say because I never want to get to that point where I stop learning and I never want to get to that point where I think I have it figured out simply because I feel like I've studied a topic more so than I've studied another topic. Because the more we can have people on, the more we can hear from others, just, just the more we're able... In my opinion, to be humbled. Somebody the other day said, "Well, to what extent should we study a topic?" And I said, "Until you're humbled." <laughs> I said that that's, you know <laughs> yeah. that that's to what extent you should study any topic. To if I if I've studied a topic and I think I know everything there is to know about that topic, you need to study that topic more. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's 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 when you get to the point of of saying. You know, I, I'm I don't know everything there is to know. I don't know everything there is to know about instrumental music and worship. That's why I would love to bring Danny Corbin on, who studied different facets of this, uh, even more so than I have, and has written specifically more so on the early church and and a lot of his material I have learned from. And I mean, it's just phenomenal stuff. But we all bring strengths to the table. And you know, just in conclusion, I'm sure there's things we didn't cover, even even in these three yeah. episodes. You know, probably three to four hours of material we didn't cover. And so if people have questions, please let us know. We'll give you our explanation. We may say, here's our answer. We may say, we don't know. Uh, We may say, you have a good point. We need to look into that. But uh, we hope that this has been beneficial. And uh, if people wonder why I've changed additional music, not only do I have my article to point, we have three episodes now (laughs) that we can point people to to say, here's why, if you're genuinely interested.
0: Absolutely. And brother, I, I appreciate your study on this so much. I appreciate this conversation, man. I appreciate just all of the effort that you are putting in, not just to writing that book, but to helping to make this podcast what it is. And this podcast wouldn't be what it is without our listeners supporting us and being our audience and sharing this podcast with others. We invite you all to please share this podcast with others. Reach out to us with your questions and your concerns, whatever you want to share with us. We would love to hear from you. Give us that five-star review on iTunes. I'm always going to ask for that in every episode. That's how you know we're almost done and we are for real. Thank you all so much. We love you all dearly and we'll see you again soon.